the previous church that I served at was right near Wright-Pat uh, Air Force Base. And so we, needless to say, had a lot of military personnel uh, within the church. But there was uh, one guy, his name was Rick. Uh, Rick was a really faithful guy, kind of a humble guy. Um, he was a great Bible teacher, and he served people that way. He would jump in and help out in any way that really was needed. And then you found out, uh, then I found out, okay, I knew he was military, but then you find out, oh, he's a two-star, two-star general. And so, you know, I've been on Wright Pad Air Force Base. I've gone there, and there's the gates, and you get questioned and all of this. And, you know, uh, he, would, he could just, you know, walk right through the gates because he had the authority uh, to do so. And once he got on base, uh, if he gave a command, right, everybody had to snap to attention and obey it because he had the authority. And walking around our church, uh, he didn't claim it for himself or he didn't boast about it in any way. But what we didn't know was, you know, here's a two-star who has tremendous authority uh, on the base. And uh, it made a huge difference there, uh, this authority that he had. Well, that's really what our passage of Scripture is about today. It's about the absolute authority of Jesus and the power that he has. Uh, and he, he demonstrates that. Uh, these opening passages in Mark really are all about uh, Jesus's authority. Uh, I want to run through just a couple of things that we've already covered. Um, Mark uses the title in the opening of Mark, Jesus the, what? The Messiah, right? Jesus the Messiah. He is the anointed one. That's what it means. He's the anointed one. And Mark is starting to show us and have us focus and say, what should I be paying attention to? Mark is wanting us to see the reality about who Jesus is. And so he says, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Anointed with what? Anointed with the Holy Spirit, right? Who is the anointed one? And by whom? By God the Father, right? Jesus received his authority from God the Father at his baptism. And, and we've been through that already in Mark. But that's where he receives uh, his authority. Heaven was opened and uh, it was torn open. Uh, and the Spirit had descended upon him and the voice of the Father speaks. And Mark's really wanting us to begin to focus and see the absolute authority of Jesus um, and where it came from. You know, then it rolls into, the first part of Mark rolls into from the authority that he receives from God the Father. Uh, then he begins to announce and proclaim what the kingdom of God is, is near. In verse 15, it says, the time has come. The time has come. Why has the time come? If we're following what Mark is doing, setting us up to focus on what? The authority of Jesus. Now the authority of God the Father is on God the Son. That's why the time has come, because the authority has now been placed upon Jesus. And so he begins to announce the kingdom of God. And he demonstrates that authority by what? Calling uh, the first four 
uh, the first four disciples. And Pastor Tom mentioned before that when, you, when a, a student would actually select a rabbi, not the reverse way, and they'd say, oh, I like how this, you know, the, the fame of this rabbi, and so I want to learn how he understands the Torah and the scriptures, and so then I'm going to, I'm going to become a disciple. Well, Jesus here with absolute authority says, you, come and follow me. And it's just another demonstration uh, of, his, uh, of his authority. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see Jesus uh, utilize more of the authority uh, that's been given to him. So if you would turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 21. We'll read it uh, all the way through uh, to verse 34, and then kind of begin to pick this apart and see the absolute authority and power of Jesus. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had, there it is, there's our word. He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, that would be the scribes and Pharisees, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, he cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus, son of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus, be quiet, he said sternly. Come out of him. This impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The, the people were all so amazed, and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So when he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up, the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let them speak because they knew who he was. It's a powerful text. It's a powerful text. And Mark wants us to continue to see the authority of Jesus. Uh, in the opening verse, it says they went into Capernaum. Capernaum, if you remember, was the hometown of the first four guys that he solicited uh, to be on his team. So he's, he's in that area on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. There's about 1,500 people uh, who would have lived uh, in that area of Capernaum. And on the Sabbath, Jesus goes into the temple and he begins to teach. And they're recognizing something that's dramatically different than the kind of teaching that they were used to hearing, right? The, 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 the contrast Mark makes is not with what Jesus was teaching, because the text doesn't actually say, well, what was he talking about? What was he saying that was so powerful? 
right? If we were, you know, if you heard a great message and you were saying, oh, this was so great, you know, and somebody would want to know, well, well, what's he saying? What was the message, you know, right? That would seem to be the important feature. Mark leaves all of that out because he wants us to notice the contrast between how the teaching was done. And so what the way the scribes and the rabbis would teach, uh, they, would, they would recount what other famous rabbi would have said. They would have recounted what the oral traditions would have been. And so it was sort of this quoting, right? They were quoting other human sources who were talking about the law and their interpretation of the law and trying to uh, teach from, from that way. And that's a valid way to do it, isn't it? I mean, all of our scholarly literature, right, in almost any field, you're quoting other people who are authoritative on those, on those subjects. I remember in college, there was a, a professor, we all, almost everybody at uh, Bowling Green had to take IPCO, it was interpersonal communication. And the thing that was always, it was a great class, but the professor was the one who wrote the book. <laughs> Which when you're a student, you're like, oh, not like he knows everything, you know, about that. And you, like, it made, the, it, made it uh, really difficult. So he wasn't quoting other people. He had authority because he wrote it, right? And so this contrast with Jesus between the way the rabbi were teaching and quoting uh, others, rabbis' interpretations in that, and that's one way of having authority. But the major contrast is that Jesus received direct revelation from God the Father. That's the difference. They could tell, wait a minute, this, this guy isn't utilizing other human authorities who are talking about divine truth. There is a way in which he's communicating, and he is sharing things. Like, it sounds like he knows this stuff. It's just coming out of him in a way that's so different. And they saw, wow, he teaches as one who has authority. Direct revelation from God. Jesus uh, spoke for God, not just about God. Where did he get that authority again? It came upon him. And it was given to him. I love uh, that they recognized that. They could see it that he spoke for God. But it wasn't just the nature of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Most rabbis taught and nothing happened. Jesus taught and lots of things happened. So in the midst of Jesus' teaching, then we have this this whole next part of the text where Jesus uh, begins to demonstrate authority over impure spirits. So imagine being... Uh, in a context in the temple. Now, if we had a disruptive person out in the lobby this morning, would we have let them come into the church service? No, right? We would have handled the issue out there and not brought it in here to disrupt what we were going to do this morning. But here, Jesus is in the midst of his, his teaching, and they recognize, people are recognizing the authority that he had. There is this disturbance in the middle of Jesus' teaching, and this, this demonic spirit begins to cry out. Now, the interesting thing, um, he probably was in his right mind. I think some of our perceptions of how this all works might get changed a little bit as we go through this. I want to ask a bunch of 
pretty good Bible study questions as we go through this next part. Here are some questions um, that I want us to consider as we go through this part of the text. First of all, what are impure spirits? Why does Mark place Jesus' first miracle, right? The opening pages of Mark, Mark's first miracle is an exorcism. Why? What is the connection between Jesus' authoritative teaching and this outburst that happens uh, while he's doing that? What's the significance uh, about the location of Jesus' first exorcism? It's inside of the temple. Why do the impure spirits speak out the identity of Jesus? What does Jesus, why does Jesus silence the demons? And then why does the impure, impure spirit shriek uh, as he departs? I want to go through quickly just those kind of Bible study questions as we look at this text. What are impure spirits? They're also known, if you look at other parts of Scripture, even Mark uses them, unclean spirits or demons. Okay, so those are all interchangeable words. Uh, here's a, a bit of a definition. I wish we had time to kind of unpack a variety of scriptures over this, uh, but I don't want to lose sight of what we're really after, and it's the absolute authority and power uh, of Jesus today. But unclean spirits are a personality. They are a personality without a body, okay? Uh, they desire to inhabit uh, a human body. Uh, you can look that up in Matthew 12, verse 43 to 45. But they desire to inhabit and have uh, a home or a place to reside. They have varying degrees of power. Uh, they can tag team in their efforts against uh, people, including believers. And we'll get to that piece uh, in a little bit. So that's what impure spirits are. They are a personality, and they seek to have a home. They want to abide somewhere. Uh, so they will often seek uh, humans uh, for that purpose. Why does Mark place Jesus' first miracle as an exorcism? Well, certainly Jesus did a variety of miracles, didn't he? He, he raised the dead. He healed sickness. Uh, he did all kinds of things uh, in uh, he had power over, uh, over nature. So he demonstrated his power in a variety of kinds of ways. Was that seen in the Old Testament? It was, right? Moses, uh, Elijah, Elisha, there were others who demonstrated these supernatural uh, demonstrations of divine power. So those things were seen. What wasn't seen in the way that it was concentrated in the person of Jesus is his absolute authority over the demonic realm. There's another passage coming in Mark chapter 3 that highlights this all the more, so we'll probably have a chance to, uh, to get into that again when we get into Mark chapter 3. But it was unique, the way in which Jesus had authority and power. And what is Mark setting us up for? He's setting us up to see that Jesus' authority is supreme. And so the very first miracle in his gospel is uh, an exorcism. Uh, exorcisms did happen in Jesus' day. There were others who did this kind of ministry, but the sheer power that Jesus did this with was unmatched, completely unmatched. And they, as it says in the text, he even speaks to the demons and they what? obey him, just like the two-star who gets on the base, and when he speaks a command, it, it must be done. It must be done. 
So what's the connection then between Jesus's authoritative teaching and the outburst by the impure spirit? In verse 23, it says, and just then, and Mark uses all these little phrases immediately or just then, and he's, he's creating like drama uh, in a certain way because it's like, wow, everything happens so amazingly in Mark. And he's so sharp. He's like, right then, just now. And he's, he's calling attention to, uh, to this. And as he highlights this, he's highlighting the link between the authority of Jesus' teaching and his capacity to do something about it. Jesus didn't just say things. He did things. And he had both. Mark is conjoining. He is bringing together that the authority of Jesus' teaching includes his demonstration of everything that he has to say. Now, it's one thing to listen to somebody, right? And then you're like, well, can they do any of that? Right? I mean, come on. That's the reality. When you say, oh, well, they, they talk big. They talk a good game, but is there anything to show for it? And so right here, as Jesus is teaching, then um, he also demonstrates that he has power. Um, Jesus is, uh, so the other piece of this is to why did this happen in the midst of Jesus' authoritative teaching, this demonic spirit? What do demons try to deceive and distract Right? Jesus came to proclaim a message and to help people understand and see. And they're disrupting this teaching, this moment. Right? And they were trying to thwart what God wanted to do. I remember being in Gabon a couple of years ago. And as we were, I serve as the field pastor for the missionary team there. So I'll go over once a year and do just a lot of pastoral care uh, and teaching with them and just help them be a team, help them pursue God. And at the beginning uh, of our time there, there were a number of things that really just seemed like opposed to what God wanted to do. Some significant discouragement, uh, things that, and I'm like, wow, you know what? I, I feel like even before we start our retreat time, I just need to ask everybody that's there. So we had some worship and just, just had a little bit of quiet space. And I said, look, if there's anything going to hinder the work of God in your life and what Jesus really wants to do in your life during our retreat time, I want you to just slip up your hand and then I'll just walk over to you. You can just, you know, speak what it is. And then I'm just going to pray that that would be removed, that you could receive all that God wants for you. And so a couple hands went up uh, and I just walked over and, and just prayed gently. Well, one person called me over and as they called me over, I, I went to them and they said, my heart is like, my heart is shaking and I feel panic coming upon me. And, and just as the person said that, they started shaking violently and they hit the ground writhing in, in, in pain. Really, it was, it, was, it was a demonic event. And, and they hit the ground. And why did that happen? It was, we were dealing with, God wanted to do a good work. And what do unclean, unholy spirits do? They want to disrupt what God wants to do. There's a whole lot longer story there, but I don't have time to tell it all. <laughs> but needless to say, the same thing happened. Jesus' authority won. Um, 
I think the other reason the connection with Jesus' authoritative teaching and this impure spirit is in the presence of greater authority, don't you have to acknowledge it? Right? Some, somebody comes to church and, and there's an area where they are under the, the control of the enemy and they have to acknowledge the greater authority that's there in their presence. What's the significance about Jesus's location and where this happens. Uh, You tie this together, and it's not in our text for today, but in verse 39, it says, Jesus had traveled throughout Galilee, preaching where? In the synagogues and driving out demons. This wasn't something, you're like, oh, I could imagine this happening, you know, when you go to a place where, okay, maybe there's, it, it, it's drug infested or it's, there's a lot of promiscuity or something. You say, okay, I can understand maybe in certain kinds of places you'd have this sort of demonic activity going on. Jesus, as a regular part of his teaching ministry, amongst those who are seekers of God, he has deliverance ministry. Right? Which means we're not immune as believers. The enemy can work on our lives. Can he have absolute authority? No, God God does. Jesus does. But we're not outside of the need of Jesus's ministry. And I find it very significant that this, the location of Jesus doing this ministry. And even those, we can't get into all of it, but like those who Jesus set free, they weren't ashamed anymore. They weren't ashamed. Oh my, I had this this, this demonic thing going on. They weren't ashamed. They, they were able to tell their testimony. Say, look what Jesus has done for me. And so even for us, we might end up in places where like, there's something spiritual going on here that's not out of the norm. And all we need to do is come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to take authority in this area of my life. But I think it's important that we realize that. Uh, Unclean spirits, they do influence and control people, even believers. And it's the norm of Jesus to set people uh, free. Why do the impure spirits speak out the identity of Jesus? Well, they first say, what do you have to do with us? They understood uh, that Jesus uh, had had, had supernatural authority that in the end, right, in Matthew uh, chapter 8, it says, you know, th- there's an appointed time when all things will be done and all demonic forces will be locked up in a prison cell and they won't have any more authority. But that time had not yet come. And so they're like, wait, what do you have to do with us? Why? You know, that that time hasn't uh, yet come. And so they speak, they start speaking to Jesus, but they also say, you, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. So they cite his humanness, right? But they also cite what? The Holy One of God. We sang about holy, holy, holy today, right? The Holy One of God. So they, they get his, his human address and his divine address. Uh, why do they speak out the identity um, of Jesus? If you, were, you go into a place and nobody knows you and somebody says, you, George Panna, the teacher, the coach, right? It's like, wow, how do you know that, right? So in a certain way, uh, the demonic spirits are trying to gain authority over Jesus by speaking his name. And they're trying to, to, get, uh, to get to him, to rattle him, and to do what they do. But they recognize that Jesus is the Holy One of God. They know uh, who he is. And... Um, 
Uh, so, yeah, they speak out the name of Jesus uh, to try to gain power, but it also, uh, it's out of turn and out of time with what Jesus uh, is doing. Why does Jesus silence the demons, right? They're proclaiming his pure identity, but you know, throughout the gospels, Jesus is doing what? He's like, shh, don't tell anybody who I am. Why does Jesus do that? Jesus knows, and God the Father knows, there's, there's going to be an appointed time for him to die, right? But if he comes out on the stage right out of the gates and he, and he claims very directly that he is the son of God, the anointed one, the Messiah, what gets shut down? His ministry gets shut down, right? And it's not yet time for the culmination of all of those things. You know how it is when you hear something and you're like, no, that's not true, right? And you need to warm up to the idea, and as you warm up to the idea and you're like, okay, okay, I've heard that this Jesus does that. Wow, there's another report from, you know, maybe the south part of the Sea of Galilee. And there's another report. And there's another report. And there's another report. And like all of a sudden what you would have posed at the beginning, now you're what? You're warming up to. And the demonic spirits wanted to go out, get, go out of order with how God wants. So they speak out the name and Jesus silences them. No, we've got to go in proper order and in time so that people can have a chance to hear and to see who I am and to submit their lives to my authority. Well, when this uh, unclean spirit is cast out of this person, uh, the, the spirit leaves with a shriek, right? Uh, it says, it violently shook the man. And so like you could imagine this person kind of shaking all over before this, this spirit leaves. Uh, I haven't seen a ton of this. Uh, I don't have 500 stories for you, uh, but I have seen it on a number of occasions. And as a demonic spirit leaves, so you're, you're basically inside of a human person. When you're separating this unclean spirit from the person, there's, this, there's very often this, this violent shaking because you're, you're taking away and you're separating those two. Uh, if you can think of it this way, when a little kid doesn't get his way, what do they do? They have a giant temper tantrum. They throw things. They'll, if you're at the store, they'll knock all the gum off the shelf and throw the candy around, right? They, have a, they, they just go kind of crazy. Well, you tell a demonic spirit, no more. You must leave him. They have their little temper tantrum, their spiritual temper tantrum, and they violently shake as sort of this last-ditch effort before they, uh, before they depart. Um, and uh, in the times that I've uh, witnessed this and have seen, uh, you know, uh, somebody being set free from this, they'll often cough and almost gag and choke. And in a, they're, they're, they're ridding themselves of those unclean spirits. And, and it's amazing to see the power of God and the authority of God. There's a certain part in which we get terrified of that, especially in our culture. Uh, it's called the excluded middle. The excluded middle is the place where we, there's divine and there's human. And in the middle, that's where we are. And in you know, a lot of third world countries, other places in the world, they totally believe in the unseen realm. Well, because of our technology and our modernness, we don't often, we struggle with the unseen realm because 
We have certain kinds of technology and all of that. Uh, so we miss the excluded middle, but there really is, we don't have to be afraid. And uh, because Jesus' authority uh, is absolute. So even when we see these things, uh, we know, you know what? God can take care of that. God can take care of that. The unclean spirits have a mission and a purpose. And uh, I don't have a lot of time to unpack it, but I just, and there's one area I just want to speak to. It's probably the area I see most often. Uh, uh, Their mission is to destroy anybody made in the image of God, anything made in the image of God. And they do that in a variety of ways. They do that by inflicting sickness. Not all sickness is caused uh, by unclean spirits, but some is. Uh, In Luke 13, there's an example there. There was a woman who uh, was crippled uh, by a spirit for 18 years. There's others uh, in the scripture. So sometimes they inflict a sickness that matches what the demonic spirit is doing to them emotionally and internally. So there's an outside manifestation of an inward thing that's going on. Jesus healed people who had physical ailments. They were not all uh, unclean spirits. So sometimes they were just physical healings of the body's brokenness. So, uh, but they inflict sickness. Uh, another way in which they seek to destroy, and this is a significant one, uh, they trouble the mind. They trouble the mind. Uh, in Mark chapter 5, when we get to that, uh, the, um, uh, the Gerasene demoniac there, uh, he was troubled in his mind. We would have said he was what? Insane or he was crazy. And demonic spirits will trouble the mind. I remember doing a retreat um, and I haven't done them here yet, but do, I, I've often led a retreat called Break Free. And it's just dealing with places where we're stuck in our lives. And there was a person uh, and she kind of grew up in a church home very faithful to the Lord, faithful to learning the scriptures and those kinds of things. And we got down to this one exercise where it, you begin to identify some of the lies that, that are kind of imprinted on your soul. And as she was going through the exercise, she was hearing unclean spirits shout at her all of these lies. And I asked her, well, what are they? She says, well, the things that I'm hearing, they're too unclean to say out loud. They're vulgar, right? And here's, and and she had not lived a promiscuous life. She had not lived, I mean, like, so you'd say, oh, well, that happens only to the, so, and she had, I don't know, 10, 15 of these things. And I, I told her to speak them out loud. And as she spoke them out loud, you could just see the demonic nature of those things. They were pounding away, pounding away at her, troubling her, her mind. And so the mind is a significant place where uh, unclean spirits will begin to hammer away at us. I saw this in Gabon amongst numerous missionaries when, 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 uh, when we're there. Two of them in particular, the one person, one doc said, every time I sit down to read the word of God, there is so, there is a an infiltration of pounding of thought in my head that I can't even read the Bible. This is a a physician who does surgery and with a totally clear mind when I'm in this realm. But when I sit down to be with God, it goes berserk in my head. Okay? So 
That's a significant place uh, where they, they, they trouble the mind. This has happened to me. So I don't want to just say about other people. I was at a pastor's conference, and while I was at the pastor's conference, probably Jim and Tom were at that. It was a long while ago, uh, but Neil Anderson came to speak, and he had up on the screen all of these truths about who we are as God's children, and he, he had us all as a group of pastors begin to speak and share uh, and say what was on the screen. I tried to say the things on the screen. And I had this choking in my throat and I could not do it. I kept trying to say what was on the screen and I couldn't. And I was scared that I couldn't. And I was like, uh, this isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> uh, you know, like I work in the ministry, I serve in the ministry. And I was kind of freaked out and I did not immediately turn to anybody around me. I, I'm like, okay, I, just, I need to go spend some time with God. And I took, and we had some handouts and stuff. So I, I went and spent some time with God. And I worked my way through, through uh, the various truth statements that were there. And, uh, and then I had one other guy just pray over me because he knew something was going on. He's like, are, are you okay? I think I lied to him, to be honest with you. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. As I didn't know because, why? Because I was ashamed. I needed the, I needed the ministry of Jesus, okay? So we don't need to be ashamed and Jesus can do uh, this work uh, with, with us. Uh, two others I'm just gonna mention, um, those unclean spirits incite self-destructive behavior. They incite self-destructive behavior. Some of the, the perpetual sins in our life, um, they're not just because we're sinful people a lot of times. I find there's a puppet behind them in many cases. And in some of them, they're self-destructive behaviors. And you can see that in a lot of like cutting or eating disorders, um, even like in alcoholism, the, 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 the depth, sometimes it's like super excessive to the point where you, like you might die because of alcohol poisoning. That's the same thing as cutting, okay? There's these massively self-destructive behaviors that often are, are from, um, perpetuated uh, in many ways by uh, impure spirits. So significant self-destructive behaviors, and then they often use deception and lies, um, to carry out their mission and their purpose. Um, so there's a lot there. Um, probably have to spend some time in the scriptures uh, through some of those, but, uh, but it's all there. I don't want us to lose sight of what we're really after today, and it's the authority and power of Jesus. And so right out of this time of deliverance, uh, uh, Jesus uh, goes on from there. And another one of those immediately or as soon as one of those drama creating story uh, kinds of phrases in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, right? Why, why only those four? Well, those were the four that were called, right? So Mark had talked about those four. So of course they're trailing uh, with Jesus in this. Uh, verse 30, they went, uh, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with the fever and they, what, immediately told Jesus about her. I wonder why. Why did they immediately tell Jesus? You know what I think began to happen? 
They began to get faith. <laughs> they began to, began to have courage and hope. Wow, he has authority. And they step out a little. So they tell Jesus, not commanding him, but just like, here's another scenario. And I think in part, as God un- bolsters our courage, our faith, then we can ask for things. Then we can step out in a greater way. I hope the music this morning helped you to begin to have hope. Even as we've going through the scriptures, I hope that your faith is like, oh my goodness, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I'm catching it. So that we too, in a moment, can ask Jesus to have authority in our lives. So Jesus, um, I kind of wonder, maybe Jesus healed her because he knew she was a good cook. Um, and so she got up and, and waited on them after. He's like, oh, maybe she was just a great cook and he had heard about her cooking and, and they were hungry after everything that happened. Um, but uh, but, but uh, his mother, Simon's mother-in-law, uh, uh, is healed. And somewhat in the same way, the fever left her. He took her by the hand and he helped her up. And in the same way that the spirit Jesus just kind of spoke and, and, and it was done. And he, he releases the fever in the exact same way. And it's really powerful. Fever was seen not as a symptom like for us. You might have an infection, so you have a fever and you know the fever is a symptom. Uh, in, in this time, fever was just seen as a, as a kind of uh, a sickness. Um, and so this, this happens and the fever, the fever left her. He rebuked the fever And then in verse 32, that evening, now why does it happen in the evening? Well, you can't violate the Sabbath, can you? Uh, Mark is setting us up for what's coming because Jesus is going to violate this and he's going to start doing things on the Sabbath, but the people obey the Sabbath and so they wait uh, for, for sundown and then they bring all who are sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door of the house because somebody here can help us and we know it. And Jesus does the same thing. When it says he healed many, it, it really means all. It's sort of an idiom. It's a way of speaking. But those who had come, Jesus met their need. He healed various diseases. He drove out the demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was, right? I want to offer to you the same thing today. With the authority and power of Jesus that we've sung about now, that we've seen outlined in Mark, Mark's really wanting to bolster our faith and encourage us. And so everybody who needed something from Jesus, as they heard the testimony of what he could do, they came. And so we're going to have four, five, six prayer teams uh, up here at the front as we, as we sing this closing song. No longer slaves, right? You don't have to be a slave any longer today. And if you want the ministry of Jesus uh, and you want someone to pray over you, you can come forward to one of those teams and just, just tell them, hey, I need Jesus to take authority. And there's... Um, What is it you want him to take authority over? That's the last kind of question here. What do I need Jesus to take authority over in my life? It might be in the area of half-heartedness, right? Jesus calls disciples to him. Can't be a half-hearted disciple. Maybe you just say, I need 
I need you to take authority. I'm a half-hearted disciple. Maybe it's an area of sin. And you say, okay. And you don't have, if you want, you can go into as much detail as you need to. But you could just say, I'm I'm being overcome by impurity. I'm being overcome by greed. I'm, whatever it is, I need Jesus to take authority. And they'll just pray, Jesus, would you take authority over, and they'll fill in the blank, uh, over this area in your life. Um, physical brokenness. Maybe as I spoke even, if any of you, as I spoke some of these things, you had a barrage of things that were keeping you from even concentrating this morning, then what happened to me in that pastor's conference is happening to you. And Just step forward and say, my mind kind of went nuts as we were going through this. Can you pray for the authority of Jesus over my mind that I might have peace in my thoughts so I can receive what Jesus wants to do? in my heart.